We're going to continue our study through the book of Hebrews. We have two verses today. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And one of the, the hearts of this passage, obviously the, the cloud of witnesses part of it, we'll talk about all that, is run with endurance. And uh, so two weeks ago, before Joe and I both left uh, for some spring break vacations, I was kind of messing with him. Of uh, So you give me the running verse, huh, Joe? And then, uh, of course, Joe goes running on vacation. And if you haven't heard yet, he, uh, he tore his ankle up. It's, you know, about this big. And uh, so he is um, starting to recover. They're still trying to diagnose, trying to figure out whether it's uh, a small break or if it's just a really bad uh, sprain, roll, all that kind of mess. And so be praying for him. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about running. So Joe's at home. So everybody look back at the camera, wave at Joe, and say, Ha ha, Proverbs 28.1 says... He who runneth when no one chases is wicked. (laughs) That's all I got to tell you. You know, anyway. So anyway, on to some positive views of running. Um, Hebrews is so rich. And, And we are, like, we are hitting the crest of the mountain. I mean, this is one of those passages that that just stands out. If you haven't memorized Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let me encourage you to do that this week. It is so rich. There's so much there. And that's why we've broken down, should we go a little bit longer chunk of Scripture, but we're going to just focus on these two verses. And we're going to have two points out of those two verses, very, very simply. Um, the first one is the motivation of discipleship. These, this passage tells us how to live the Christian life. But, but more volume, even of these little two verses, is spent on the why than the what. And I think that should tell us something. You, you see, the Christian life, it's not that complicated. We just read about it. It's, it's have faith in Jesus and do what He tells you to. Like, that's, that's, that's life. It's, it's growing to look more like Jesus. It's loving Him. It's enjoying Him. It's sharing about Him. But the problem is, all that stuff is easy to say. And really hard when life hits and Monday morning turns around. And so today I want us to start with the the why. What is the motivation? Why ought you follow Christ? Why ought you endure in your face? Why ought you fight sin? Why ought you turn away from worldliness and, and run with endurance as this passage tells you to do? Why should you do it? And there's two reasons it gives us. The, the first one's right there at the beginning. So open your scriptures to Hebrews chapter 12. There's Bibles uh, in the chairs in front of you. If you need one, um, please feel free to use that. Even take it if you don't have one uh, available to you at home. Um, we would be honored to give that to you. But look there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, it says therefore, and one of the things you learn in seminary, it's, it's really deep thing. If, if there's a therefore, ask what the therefore is there for. It, like, it's important. That's not just an accidental word that he starts a sentence that way. And that's why um, I asked Lee to read even in 39. Is, is we have just heard about all these amazing examples of faith. We've heard about Abel. We've heard about Moses. We've heard about Noah. We've heard about all these others. We heard about the unnamed legion of saints who have gone before. 
who suffered greatly. And he says, but none of them, none of them have what you do sitting in the green chairs today. You see, all those Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to somebody. Most of them didn't even know that somebody's name. Jesus. They were hoping for and they were wanting the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they had to wait. And they had to endure. And they died knowing something better was coming someday. And you and I get the incredible privilege of sitting this side of Christ's death on the cross. We have it all, so to speak. We have Jesus' salvation. We know Him. We know what He said. We know how much the Father loves us. We have the completed Scriptures. And what a blessing today that you can have a copy of it in your lap with you 24-7 on your phone. We have so much. And so this passage starts with this motivation of, of because of all those folks before who would so love to be in your shoes, and even before, and even without all the details, they had faith in Christ. So the, the first motivation for discipleship is because of all the saints who have gone before us. There's a, there's a blank for you. I'm doing Joe-style blanks. It's not one word like I normally do. There's, there's long ones for you today. Because of all the saints who have gone before us. And this isn't like great-grandma looking down on you. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard that one. That's, that's kind of creepy. Um, it, it's, it's not some touchy-feely, you know, just cuddle feel good. I mean, that would be miserable for them to see me goof up that often. But... It's not that motivating. That's kind of guilt-inducing. But if you look at what Joe has been preaching to us out of chapter 11, it's the last three weeks, it's, it, and, and then even since then, this last 2,000 years, we have been surrounded. We are quite literally standing on the shoulders of, not giants, <laughs> of normal men and women who trusted Christ. And God did incredible things. Moses wasn't a giant. He was a mess. Abraham wasn't a giant. He was a coward. But they're noted in the hall of faith. Not for their cowardice. Not for their mess. Not for their sin. Rahab is listed as Rahab the prostitute. But that's not why she's there. They're listed there because they trusted God. And so this, this cloud of witnesses, therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We have this, this crop of examples of people who are just like you and me, who have gone before and have actually trusted God in the middle of the same kind of mess or the same kind of struggle, or the same kind of joy that you are in right now. They've already proved to us you don't have to be the first to trust Christ through whatever it is you're going through. 
The reason we should be motivated to discipleship, one of the reasons we should want to, is we've seen that it works. I think back to my own family. Think back to the examples that I have. Back to my grandparents, my parents who are even members of this church, of of seeing faithfulness over the years. But I think back even more, I I have in uh, my library, one of my treasured possessions from before the Civil War, um, 1830s, the pastor that I don't know, I never met, who was in my family, who was in there studying and looking. I have complete works of Josephus that he read and annotated. There have been people do this before who have made it. There's been people who are as bad and messed up as you and me who have gone through this before. And the only thing that got them through was their faith in Christ. It's pulling all this together and saying it actually works. You can follow Christ. All those goofs back there show us that these goofs in here can trust Christ too. It should show us that real humans, messed up folks, can actually follow God's Word. We see God intervening in these people's lives all the time. We see God taking the initiative and pulling them out of their sin. We see God taking the initiative, sending Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, to become a human, live a perfect life, die for us, raise again, reign forever on high. And the Holy Spirit to apply that to your hearts and to my hearts. We've seen it happen over and over and over and over. We can place our faith in Him and it actually does make a difference. And I know, because I've been there this week, that feeling of I did the same thing. Again, there is no change. But what we're trapped in is looking right in front of our face and not seeing the long-term big picture. When we can look back and see these saints of old and see these folks who've been faithful, we can see that God actually changed things. Things weren't the same for them. We see this is real. When you're struggling, when, you, when you're struggling with fear over that thing you've got to face that seems so big, so impossible, think about Abraham and how God transformed that coward who betrayed his wife two times to save his own skin. Who's then willing when God says, go into battle against five armies with you and your buds. That's the plan. He charges across two countries to do it. When God says, take your son that I've promised you, and I'm the God who doesn't kill people for fun, and sacrifice him. He can walk up the mountain, raise the knife, knowing that God's got this. And of course, he did. See, God can transform cowards 
like me and like you. When you're you're facing loss after loss after loss, and that job that you've got seems like there is no hope for success. Think about Isaiah. He was told at the very beginning of his career, verse 6 is, here I am, send me. And God says, yes, go. Verse 7 is, no one's ever going to listen to you. That's your career path. And it comes true. No one ever listens. But he remained faithful for decades. He was the longest lived that we know of prophet in the Old Testament. Over 50 years of faithfulness. When you feel insignificant, like your job doesn't matter, think of Deborah, who God plucked from obscurity. We don't even know who, like, where did she even come from? We have no clue. But God chose her to lead God's army because all the dudes were scared. When you know you've blown it. I mean, really blown it. Think of Samson who ruined his life with sexual sin, idolatry, disobedience. But he turned back from God in the pit. And I don't mean like theoretically the pit. I mean literally the pit he was in. God still got the glory. Samson is in the hall of faith. But not just these Old Testament folks. When you seem like you could never forgive that. Whatever it was that was done to you that is so evil. Think about Elizabeth Elliot. Who after finding out about her husband and best friend's murder and then being eaten by cannibals at the hands of the Aka Indians, decides, I think I'll go and take my daughter. And not only forgave these people for murdering her husband and eating him, but she led the man who threw the spear to the Lord. And was in church with him for over a decade. I don't know how to forgive like that. When you think work is too big, and you can never accomplish the task, think of our mission partners, Aaron and Joanna Choate. They've been laboring for 15 years. And they're just about to get the Gospels translated. Fifteen years. They have had one task. Task list. Translate the Bible. That's, that's their life's work. That's it. One thing. They've probably got another 10 to 15 years to go. And they're just being faithful. They're just normal folks who trust Christ. When you're trying to figure out how to make marriage work and and you're a newlywed and there's career issues and there's problems at work, look at our mission partner, Jamin and Kristen Eben. We're a year into their marriage and their entire organization was based on physically traveling to teach pastors. That's not been going so well the last couple of years, if you can imagine. But they're still figuring it out. They're recreating the wheel. And learning how to do it. 
They're still going. They're still serving. And they're figuring it all out through the grace of Christ. When you think your health prevents you from serving God. When you think, I I can't be used because I just can't do it. Think about Audria and Jeff Medina, our new mission partners. They're now in the Dominican Republic. They're setting up a ministry. And despite she being told she would not survive over a decade ago, they're there. And she's still struggling daily. It's not like some miraculous healing took place. Just faithful. Doing what doctors say. Working really, really hard to be healthy. And they're training pastors in the DR. And you're facing a career change. Look at Chris Crowder. Missionary. And he needs to come back stateside for his family's health and care. He's learning to do work a whole new way. It's it's that the Gospel actually changes people. And we can look out and we can see others. And we can see what we can't perceive in our own hearts. That God is actually at work. He is actually changing things. Can you imagine Michelangelo? We got the privilege a number of years ago when I was on sabbatical of going to Italy and I got to see for the first time Michelangelo's sculptures. Mind-boggling how incredible these things work. But can you imagine him the day he got this giant rock? And in no power tools, he's got a chisel and a hammer. The, the task of that first tink. Like, it doesn't look like much. I could, I'm, being, I'm confident it was a long time before those things looked like anything other than a big rock and a lot of dust. But he was shaving off piece after piece after piece after piece and left something spectacularly beautiful. God is at work. Look at the cloud of witnesses. Look around you even in this room. See what God is doing. First motivation. Second motivation. What's the motivation for discipleship? Because Jesus loves us. And He paved the way. Because Jesus loves us and He paves the way. Skip down actually to the end of this passage. Verse 2. So half this passage here. Ready? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In other words, He started it. He established it for us and He completes it for us. He's not leaving you to figure it out on your own. He is perfecting your faith. He is perfecting your faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to Jesus because all those people still are people. One of the people that my faith looked to was the man who led me to the Lord. He's now apostate. I went with my parents to our pastor's office and we, I prayed to trust Christ. And it was such a warm memory. He used to be a missionary. and He baptized me and he divorced his wife 
ran off with another woman and apparently has never been back to church since. He's unrepentant. See, even the best of people are, are people. We've talked about that before. But the writer of Hebrews knows Jesus will never fail. He is the ultimate example. And I, I love how he, how he, he twists this uh, to an unexpected motivation. So look what Jesus did. He endured the cross. Worse suffering than any human has ever endured because not only did He have the physical torment of the cross of a beating, of being humiliated by being stripped naked and, and hung on a tree in public, the bloody mess that it was and the torture that it was. But all through that time, He is bearing my sin and your sin. He has guilt that we can't even fathom. And He's never done anything wrong. He has conviction that we can't even conceive of for what I did. He understands how wrong it truly was when I usually ignore it. He endured emotional physical, spiritual suffering like never before. He's been in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. It feels such aloneness that He screams out, Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? See, He endured that suffering. He went through it. Remember Hebrews 4.15? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Remember back when we went through that, not only did He endure the cross, He endured the life before the cross when everything was thrown at Him. Satan himself took the task of trying to take down Jesus. I'm going to guess nobody here lives up to that one. We don't even register on the radar. But he went all the way through that temptation. It was pride, anger, his words, revenge. He could actually get revenge. And he didn't. Sexual temptation. The desire to be about his own business, not the Father's. He endured it all. He went longer than you did. He went the whole way. He's endured even more than us. But I, I love what the writer of Hebrews does here. They don't make, he doesn't make light of the difficulties. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at this next part. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He doesn't make light of the suffering. It's real. It's hard. Life is tough in a fallen world. The Christian life is hard. 
So students, I know many of you are in a world that is against you, is in, are in a world that is throwing everything that looks good at you. I get that it's hard. And believe it or not, your parents probably even get that it's hard. That may not come across it all the time, but they do. They get that it's hard. Those of you who are in tough work situations, those of you who have family heartaches that just won't go away, we're not making light of these things. The physical suffering, I mean, we have cancer survivors sitting among us. We have people who've endured so many other things. We don't make light of these. Jesus didn't say, you know, yay suffering. He, he didn't like hurting. He despised it. But He saw to the other side of it. He saw to the joy that was set before Him. And so, so what was this joy that was set before him? I've read a lot on this in the last couple of weeks and there's probably not one single answer. Certainly pleasing the Father was, was there. Certainly knowing His resurrection was coming had to help, right? But every author I've read, different denominations, different, different takes on this, different ages of through Scripture all come to one thing, that the, the joy that had to be set before Him is exactly the joy that we read about during our congregational reading earlier, and that is of finding the lost soul. The joy that was set before Christ was your salvation. It was you. Not you individually, but, but all of us together. Jesus Christ endured all of that on the cross to redeem you. And He doesn't say that it was this, you know, hey, I did it. I'm finally going to save those dumb mess-ups. No, no, no. It was joy that was set before Him. He was happy to get the privilege of saving you. He loves you that much. The misery of a cross was worth it for your soul. See, you think the author of Hebrews, if he's trying to motivate us to, to be disciples and to you know, get in there and you know, do it, he's like, See how hard he worked? See how hard he worked? He was miserable and you can, you can do it. No. He says, it was joy of saving you. So now, you can be a disciple. You have opportunity of the Holy Spirit's filling, of Christ's transformation, of the guilt removal of the Almighty God who throws your sins farther than east is from west. To follow Him. That's the privilege we have. That's the motivation for discipleship. It's looking to that Jesus. It's that when you're tempted to that sin so, so bad, it's choosing, no, Jesus, You are better. 
I want to praise Your name. I want You more than that. That's the motivation. So where do we go? This little phrase, two little phrases in here. The meat of discipleship. What, what do you actually do? What, what are we going at here? What is this all about? First, we can drop what holds us back. We can drop what holds us back. Look there in the middle of verse number one. Let us also lay aside every weight. Some of y'all know Joe, Chad, and I. Uh, Joe started this, and Chad and I joined in about 100 miles in or so, are backpacking the Appalachian Trail. We've, we're several hundred miles in now. Um, we basically walked the entire eastern like, border of Tennessee um, from north to south, or south to north. And we went the first year, and most of us had backpacked before, but it had been a while, <laughs> like a long while, like when we were teenagers. Um, Chad, I think, had maybe went a couple times since then. But we had old equipment, and we had a lot of equipment. And so my bag that first year was like 32, 33 pounds, and I walked about 45 miles on it. Guess what? The next year, my bag weighed 23 pounds, and it has ever since, and I've made sure of it. And I mean, I'll sit there, my wife laughs at me, because when I'm packing, she's like, do you need socks? I have some. Wait, there's one pair of socks. Yep. Um, Don't you need something warmer? No. I mean, it it is, what about that? No, don't want it, don't need it. I mean, I, I have got uh, the first year I carried my big old, you know, belt, fixed blade, hunting knife. You know, the next year it's like the little bitty teeny, out, you know, like, I mean, if it can be cut, we cut it because it's on your back for mile after mile after horrible, miserable hill, hill that actually has a handrail in the middle of the woods because it's so steep. Like, you don't want the weight because it makes it hard. And so this scripture says, part of being a disciple, part of learning to look like Jesus is throwing away those weights. These aren't necessarily even bad things. It doesn't say throw away sin, and we'll we'll get to that one. It says letting go of the weights. It's the, I want that itis that just plagues Americans. All the stuff. All the prestige, all the house, the stuff, the car, the clothes, the everything that we want. And it weighs us down. It's hard. It's heavy. And it keeps you from your walk with Christ. And this is not to say that everything is bad. Jesus ate good food, he enjoyed life, he, he celebrated. So not all fun is bad. There were many rich people who followed Christ. The Lord's Supper was started in a rich man's house. So, so please don't hear this saying anti-money. It's anti-love of the world. It's that it doesn't have a hold on you. Paul says, I've learned to be content in much and I've learned to be content in nothing. Remember that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? That's actually what that verse is about. It's learning to live with it or without it. To have a very loose, open grip on everything in this world. 
I want to um, refer you to a book that if you've not read it, let me challenge you to do it. Um, there are modern English versions for those of you who are weak, um, but I like the original. Uh, Bunyan, his work, so incredible. The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a just awesome, awesome book. But it's the story of Christian, he's real creative, who becomes a Christian and learns to follow Christ. And his, bus, his buddy is named Hopeful. Um, but let me read you a passage from this early on. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load that was on his back. He run this until he came to a place somewhat ascending, going uphill. And upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom, a sepulcher, a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came upon the cross, his burden loosed off from his shoulders and fell off from his back and it began to tumble and so continued to do so until it fell into the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw the burden no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. You can lay off every burden because you're looking unto Christ. Second thing we do. We get rid of sticky sin. Look again there in the middle of verse 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Because of what Christ has done for you, because of seeing what others have gone before you in. You can fight sin and win in the long run. That sin that is so bad, that grabs on so tightly, there's probably not anyone in here that if I asked you to think about what's the sticky sin that couldn't just know. It, yeah, it's that. We know it well. The problem is usually not identifying the sin. It's what to do about it. Sin is so much worse than we ever think. I, I, I want to remind you, I couldn't find a passage where I could read it because it's fairly long, but uh, some of you know I love Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. But he, he gives this vivid, vivid visual how decrepit and evil sin is. See, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, his dear friend, are, are following Gollum, who, who's an evil creature, who, who evil has got his, its fangs into him. And they're following him to destroy the ring that will, that will set them free. And Gollum describes a way. It, it's the fast way. and it's, it's the easy way. There's stairs. Not through wilds and all that. They've They've carved stairs in it. How could it be so hard? Of course, when they get there, the way is much, much more difficult than they think. And, and in this process, Golem tricks Frodo into rejecting his dear friend. So he isolates himself. And Frodo climbs alone the difficult way that was supposed to be so easy. He's all by himself. He, he's pushed out any other words 
and comes to Sirathugul. And he finds the spider Shelob. It's from the old English word for cobweb. And he goes into this cave that he thinks is going to be the pathway. And it's all easy and good. And the first web, he, he shakes it off. And the second, he, he starts slashing at it with his sword. And on and on he goes. And eventually the spider web starts sticking. More and more and more till Frodo can't run. He's bound up in webs. He can't save himself. It's actually only through his true friend, Samwise Gamgee, that Frodo's saved and the story goes on and actually has a happy ending. He needed help because Frodo's life was consumed by the stickiness of it. Tolkien knew the home human heart so, so well. He got people like nobody else. We can be trapped. We can be consumed by our own sin. We don't mean it to. It's never our intention. But let me beg you to come out of the darkness And as this passage says, because you can get out of the sin that so easily entangles, come into the light of Christ. Some of you need that help today, just like Frodo did. So let me beg you. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a friend. Don't isolate yourself like Frodo. You can be free. There is hope for even your sin. Practically, and I I put this even in your notes down at the bottom, in the epidemic of addictions to pornography, please come into the light. I beg of you. Come out. It's a sin that isolates. It's a sin that consumes. And boy, it's sticky. Run to Christ, but get some help. The book there that I mentioned, The Death of Porn, is so good and so hopeful and doesn't beat the snot out of you. It points you to Jesus. There's copies out by the door um, if you want to grab one, but don't go through it yourself. You do it with somebody else. You, You see that sin, it just grabs us. Whatever it is, whether it's that or something else, because of the motivation we have, we can get rid of that sticky sin. We can actually fight sin. And you may not win every single battle, but in the long run, you're going to start to look more and more and more like Christ. So fight. Not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, fight. But because of Jesus and what He's already done for you, start turning to Him. Fight the sin. The last thing we actually do, we can run all the way home. We can run all the way home. As I say, jokingly, but true at the same time, I don't like to run. Um, when I run, I can start pretty well, and there's maybe a little bit where I think, oh, I'm going to be okay, and then, yeah, you can't breathe, everything hurts, and you just want to stop, right? I know some of you are 
like me and not like Jason and Joe and all those people who actually can do this. We're running to finish the race. Not to have a quick start like I do and, and then give up. We're headed to take it all the way home. The Gospel. The hope of Jesus Christ. Knowing that He saves. And you today, if you've never done this before, you've never trusted in this Jesus who loves you, you can start the path today. You can start the run today. But it goes until your dying breath. We don't talk a lot about death. And I think that's probably a problem. None of us like death. I mean, nobody wants to die. That's the goal. Is running with endurance the whole race. For those of you among us who who are more toward the senior side, maybe some of our folks who fought chronic illness for so long, and the rest of us who know we might get that call tomorrow. I had a dear friend from church years back got the call that he had colon cancer just this week. My age. Maybe we can even start seeing that finish line there. Don't give up. Don't wish for death, but know that God can bring you even over that finish line just like He's brought you this far. Don't give up. I want to read you again from Pilgrim's Progress, a a little longer passage and then, then we'll be done. But Pilgrim's Progress... At the very end, Christian and his, his buddy, you'll, you'll hear about him later, hopeful, are facing a river and they don't know what to do. They can see the heavenly city. They know they're almost there and they're tired. He says, Christian then and his companion asked men to go along with them. So they told them they would, but they said, you must obtain it by your own faith, crossing the river. So when I saw my dream that they went on together until they came within sight of the gate. Now I further saw that between them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over. The river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much astounded. But the men that were with them said, you must go through or you cannot come to the gate. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond in their minds. And they looked this way and they looked that way, but none could be found by them by which they might escape the river. Then they said to the men, if the waters, are they deep? They said, no, if they could not help them in this case. For they said, you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe. And the king of that Continues on for a little bit. Hopeful encourages Christians. Says these troubles and these distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which hitherto you've received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Hopeful added this word, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ can make you whole. And with that, Christian, break out in a loud voice. Oh, 
I see Him again. And He tells me, when thou passest through the water, I will be with you. And through these rivers, they shall not overflow you. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall there the flame kindle upon thee. Isaiah 43, 2. Then they both took courage. And the enemy was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon. And so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. And they got over. The chapter ends right there. Christian, you're called to make it all the way to the end. And the way you do it just like Him. Oh, I see Him again. And you need to see Him again and again and again. When you're there at school and your soul feels crushed by what's going on, see Him again. When you feel sick, and like you can't go on, see him again. When you get fired, see him again. This is the Christian life. So let go of what's holding you back. Get rid of the sticky sin. We've got this cloud of witnesses and example, but even more than that, look to Jesus. Father, thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are real and you are here and you love even us. Lord, turn our eyes to you. May we see with heavenly colored glasses on our eyes the center of the throne room your beauty and your glory and your joy even your joy at us I can't imagine it it's hard to imagine being that wanted but you do things that would be heresy if we made them up but you said it God so Lord give us the faith to believe this. In Jesus' name, amen.